in college, a friend came to me one day. He said, John, how do you know if the spirit that's inside of you is from God or not? I gave him whatever answer came to my mind. I was a theology major, loved to answer questions of the theological nature. Didn't really think much of it after the experience. A couple days later, I found out that that same friend who'd asked the question had just recently been involved in an experience, an odd experience in his room dorm room one morning, early one morning, he and some friends were having a very earnest prayer session. All of a sudden, that friend who had asked me the question as he was praying, another voice started to pray, started to speak out of him. And it was not the voice of a good angel. Uh, It was a dark and scary voice. A demonic voice started coming out of his body without his control. Pretty soon, one of the other friends recognized what was going on, and he started trying to rebuke this thing, and it just did not end well. It did not end well. So then later, without me knowing this backstory, he asked me the question, how do you know if the spirit that's inside of you is from God or not? Because my friend was an honest, sincere Christian. A very interesting, troubling, and scary experience. And as I reflected on his situation, it occurred to me that the most likely explanation was that without him knowing it, he had somehow, some way, opened himself up to these influences. Um, And I could identify some specific things in his life that seemed to be the most likely cause of the spirit that was inside of him. Today we're talking about Saul. We're continuing on in the story of Saul. We're not going verse by verse through his story. We're hitting some thematic high points. And today we're asking the question, which spirit? And no, it's not a typo in the bulletin because we also see the story of Saul involves a which spirit. So which spirit? will be in us? That's the big question. Last week we saw that the big question uh, in in Israel's history was who's going to be the king? Who will be the ruler of the life of each individual person? Who will be the ruler of the nation? And when they chose to have a king, setting a king over them, a man instead of God, they were saying, man will be our king and not God. And Saul, through his actions, demonstrated that God was not his king of kings. He was his own king. And that led to his unfortunate and sad demise. Who has the last word in our life? The question we asked that last week, and today we ask, which spirit will be in our life? The story of Saul begins actually good, as we addressed last week. He starts off hesitant, not wanting to become king. He's scared when they call for him to put the crown on him or at least to proclaim him king. He's hiding somewhere in the baggage and Samuel has to say where he was and call him out. And he he was humble in the beginning. And I I referenced a, a passage. I want to go there as we begin this morning in 1 Samuel chapter 10. 
showing how in the beginning, Saul's life was starting off fairly good. 1 Samuel chapter 10, and if you look at verse 6, verse 6, we find that Samuel has, has told Saul in advance what's going to happen to him. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 6, it says, The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you in power, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Samuel says, these things are going to happen, and by the way, the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, is going to come upon you, you're going to prophesy, and God's with you. And if you look at verse 10, you see the fulfillment of these things. 1 Samuel 10.10, when they arrived at Gibeah, a a procession of the prophets met him, and the Spirit of God came upon him. In power, and he joined in their prophesying. And when all those who had formerly known him saw him prophesying with the prophets, they asked each other, What has happened to Saul, son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? Verse 12 A man who lived there answered, And who is their father? So it became a saying, Is Saul also among the prophets? After this, Saul stopped prophesying, and he went to the high place. Exactly as Samuel predicted, the Holy Spirit came upon Saul. He was changed into a different person. He started prophesying. If anybody was filled with the Holy Spirit at that moment, it sure appears to be Saul. That's a pretty good start to a reign as a king, being filled with the Spirit, God's presence and power with him. And then we carry the story on into 1 Samuel 11, verse 6 we see, again, an evidence of God's favor and God's presence with Saul. 1 Samuel 11 and verse 6, it says, When Saul heard their words, the Spirit of God came upon him in what? In power. And he burned with anger. And then he, he, he does some things. He cuts up an oxen, sends it out to the different tribes as a, a call to action. And they rally together and... Um, victories are won under Saul. Here we see God moving upon the heart of Saul. A good start to his reign. Not only that, Saul didn't take revenge on the people who didn't immediately accept him as king. We see his heart is still tender. It's still soft. The Spirit of God is working in Saul's life. But then, as we discussed last week, Saul began to close himself off. There was that experience with King Agag, who he was supposed to eliminate, along with all the animals and everything else. Saul didn't want to do that. He thought he knew better. And when Samuel heard the sound of those animals bleating and making their noise, he said, what's this sound? And Saul said, oh, that's just something that the men, the soldiers brought along. And Samuel said, you have disobeyed God. To obey is better than sacrifice. But even before this, in 1 Samuel 13, 13, let's turn there real quick, we see, again, this was the first major incident where Saul rejected God's counsel, and God realized, and God saw and declared that he was not fit to serve him as king. Instead of waiting for Samuel, those seven days in the midst of this potential war situation, he was instructed to wait. He waited seven days, 
and then started to get restless as, as it didn't seem like Samuel was about to arrive. Little did he know that Samuel was on his way and was about to show up. And so Saul offered a sacrifice himself, uh, contrary to God's will. And Samuel comes to him in verse 13 of chapter 13 and says, You have acted foolishly. You've not kept the command of the Lord that your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him as leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Because Saul was rejecting the Holy Spirit leading in his life, rejecting the clear counsel of God, God says to him early on in his reign, your leadership is not going to last. I've picked somebody else whose heart will be sensitive and receptive to what I have to say. And of course, who was that? David. We'll be talking about him in the weeks to come. So Saul begins to turn from this young man that was humble and able to be filled with the Holy Spirit and moved by the Holy Spirit. And now he becomes more and more hardened. Until we get to chapter 16. First Samuel chapter 16. He's just experienced again uh, a rebuke from Samuel after the incident with King Agag. Samuel anoints David in the beginning of verse, uh, chapter 16. And then we get to some strange words in 1 Samuel 16, 14. It says, Now the Spirit of the Lord had done what? It had departed from Saul. You know, if you reject the Holy Spirit enough, eventually God just says, Well, I'm just going to stop knocking at, th at their heart's door. Um, that's a scary thing. Saul had continually, perpetually rejected the Holy Spirit, the impressions of God upon his heart. And so it says in verse 14, the Spirit of God departed from Saul. And then it says an evil spirit or a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. Now some people are kind of wondering, what in the world does this mean? A harmful spirit from the Lord? Well, we'd get it if it said from Satan, but here it says the Lord. And this is where uh, knowing the historical cultural background of the Hebrews helps us to not have a problem with this passage. As you study out the culture of the Hebrews, they weren't as concerned with the, uh, the immediate causes of things. Uh, sometimes they associated the ultimate cause, as in God's permission for an evil spirit to attack Saul. They associated God's permission with God's commission, such that one commentator said, he who permitted it committed it. So in other words, the Holy Spirit leaves Saul. There's a big vacancy spot on his heart. And what do you think the old devil realizes? Here's a chance to move in. Nobody's home, I'm going to move in. God allowed it to happen. And so the Bible writer simply says, God sent it. Uh, again, the causality there um, is more of omit, or committing, or rather, permitting. Uh, there's a lot of those words, get confused. <laughs> permitting rather than committing. Even Josephus, the Jewish historian, um, lines up with this view. Uh, he says, as for Saul, some strange and demonic disorder came upon him, such suffocations as were ready 
to choke him. Josephus recognized this was a demonic attack upon King Saul, described here in verse 14. Look at the response. Saul's attendants came to him. See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the harp. He will play and the evil spirit from God. When it comes upon him, you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, find somebody who plays well and bring him to me. They realized music has power. Music has power. And of course, we know they called David. Look at verse 23. Whenever the Spirit of God came upon Saul, David would take his harp and he would play. Then relief would come to Saul and he would feel better and the evil spirit would leave him. We see good music played the right way drives the demons away. One wonders what bad music effect might be. If there's good music that can drive away the forces of evil, you got to think that there's probably music that invites evil. We've got to think very closely about what we let into our mind, what we let into our heart. You know, I found it's easy to, to sing lyrics that you'd never actually find yourself saying. When I was first learning the guitar, I remember uh, learning this song, and it was kind of a country song, and... Uh, It was just kind of a fun one to sing. And then I actually sat there and I thought about the lyrics. And I won't say them because you don't want these things in your mind, but it was not good at all. Something I would never just say. But somehow when when you sung it, it seemed okay. What kind of music therapy are you going through as you drive to work each day? What kind of music therapy do you have in your home? Do you have in your office? What kind of music, what kind of forces are you attracting to yourself through your music? By the way, do you like the harp? Isn't the harp a nice instrument? I would love to have a harp here in this church. Wouldn't you love that? Amen. Amen. That'd be great. Maybe someday we'll we'll find somebody who can bring their harp and can play for us. Well, we'll talk about it later. (laughs) The harp that David here is playing is probably more like the hammer dulcimer, if you've ever seen those before. Um, Oddly enough, I had a dream last night that I was playing the harp. And I didn't know what I was doing. (laughs) Didn't go so well. I don't know why. I guess I was thinking about the sermon. But David came in, and he would play the harp, and it would help. And I would guess that David also sung. David's out there composing all these psalms. The psalms are all songs. I wish we knew the original tune, but there are some talented people that are making up tunes for some of these psalms. Sarah and I were talking just the other night how we want to to try writing some, some music to some of these songs. Probably not for public performance, unless it turns out really good. But it doesn't have to be great. You can just do it on your own. You know, as we see this passage, though, especially verse 14, we see once the Holy Spirit left David, it opened up the opportunity for the enemy to move in. 
Saul, thank you. I was like, what did I say wrong? <laughs> That's what I said wrong. You're smart, though. You caught it. When the Holy Spirit left Saul, it opened up the opportunity for evil spirits to move in to his heart and life. And we won't go there today, but it just reminds me of the passage in Luke 11, where Jesus talks about a house that gets swept clean. Um, a house that has demons in it. And when it's swept clean, when it's cleaned out, if there's nothing to take the place, seven more demons move in. He uses that analogy of a strong man. Strong person can guard their house, but if an even stronger person comes in, uh, they can take over the house. If we don't have the Holy Spirit occupying the house of our heart, we'll be taken over by the enemy whenever he wants to. This is a very sad reality that my friend, who was an earnest Christian, discovered even having things in his life he didn't realize were back doors for the enemy to enter. If you're curious, I can, I can tell you more about what I think those were later. That's what happened to Saul here. He didn't have the Holy Spirit day by day residing in his heart and pretty soon, somebody else moved in. Let's go to chapter 18. We see this trend continuing. For Samuel 18 and verse 10. The next day, an evil spirit from God, ultimately allowing this, came forcibly upon Saul. And he was prophesying in his house... By the way here, the term prophesying can refer to something that good prophets do. It can also refer to the babblings of false prophets. He's probably in some sort of agitated frenzy where he's muttering various things. Um, they called it prophesying either way. So it came upon Saul. He was in the house muttering these things while David was playing the harp as he usually did. And Saul had what in his hand? had a spear in his hand, and as the cover of the bulletin indicates, you know what happens next with that spear. He hurled it, verse 11 says, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall, but David eluded him twice. You know, we play pin the tail on the donkey. Saul was not playing around. He was playing pin David to the wall, a game, a high stakes game, life or death, but Praise God, David was agile. He was able to dart away. The Bible says it happened twice. Uh, now, it happened in a story later on. Maybe that's what the author is referring to, or maybe he threw two spears uh, in this account. Not quite clear. What happens in verse 12 is amazing, what the author says. If this had happened to me as David, I would be terrified. I would not want to go play and sing anymore. But look at what the Bible says. This is so interesting. What was the result? Saul was what? Afraid of who? David. David. The guy that's taking a spear, trying to kill the musician, actually ends up being afraid of the guy he's trying to kill. See, that's what happens when the Holy Spirit is with you. People recognize something good is going on in your life. And when they don't have that something, it can be a scary thing. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David and had left Saul. Transitioned from Saul to David. 
as it were. Look at what happened right before that. Verse 7. People are singing, they're dancing, they're saying, Saul has slain his thousands, David has slain his ten thousands. If you want to know why Saul was trying to kill David, here's one reason. People are praising David more than they're praising Saul. And Saul was envious and wanted to take David out. But i got to think that beyond that, the power and the presence of this evil spirit in Saul's life had clouded his mind so much, and the enemy was trying to wipe out David. And as we know, David became the great, 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 whatever, grandfather of who? Of Jesus. Early on, when Moses was just a little baby, the enemy saw something great was going to happen with this young boy, and he wanted to wipe him out, so he had the Pharaoh try and kill all the babies. It's interesting to, to look at uh, this special remnant or this special group of people that, that the enemy was trying to kill, but God was preserving throughout all time. Even Jesus, when he was a baby, the devil tried to kill him. But he was spared. The devil wasn't successful in killing David, praise God. So the story continues. We get a unique experience in chapter 19. Chapter 19 Verse 9. Here we, again, we find Saul trying to kill David one more time. Look at verse 9. It says, But an evil spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he was sitting in his house with a spear in his hand, very similar to chapter 18. While David was playing his harp, Saul tried to pin him to the wall with a spear. But David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. And that night, David made good his escape. David says, I'm getting out of here. I can't keep doing this. <laughs> can't keep doing this. And then something very unusual happens in verse 18. While Saul is trying to, to get David, something very unusual happens. It says, when David had fled and made his escape, he went to Samuel at Ramah and told him that all that Saul had done to him. Then he and Samuel went to Naoth and stayed there. The word came to Saul, David is in Naoth, at Ramah. So he sent men to capture him. But when he saw the group of prophets, when they saw the group of prophets prophesying, with Samuel standing there as the leader, the spirit of the Lord came upon Saul's men, and they also prophesied. When Saul was told about it, he sent more men, and they prophesied too. Saul sent men a third time, and they also prophesied. Finally, he left for Ramah, and went to the great cistern at Siku, and he asked, "Where are Samuel and David?" Over in Naoth at Ramah, they said. And Saul went there at Ramah, but the Spirit of God came upon him, and he walked along prophesying until he came to Naoth. He stripped off his robes, and he prophesied in Samuel's presence. He lay that way all the day and night. This is why people say, is Saul also among the prophets? This is a very unusual occurrence. Troop after troop gets sent to Samuel. God says, I'm just not going to let it happen. The Holy Spirit comes on them in such a way that they start prophesying. They start uttering things on behalf of the Lord. Kind of like when, when Balaam was trying to curse the people of Israel as he was on his high overlook there. He couldn't do it because the Lord only let him speak blessings. And I'll be honest in saying I don't fully understand this phenomena. Probably not that they were like foretelling the future, 
so much as perhaps doing things like praising God. Uh, you know, there's something powerful about God's presence. And when people come into the presence of God, even if they're sinners, not interested in him, they can't help but recognize the greatness and the goodness of God. The Bible says there's coming a time when every knee will bow and every tongue confess, and that every includes the devil and all of his angels, when they will recognize and publicly proclaim that God is good. I imagine that something similar like this was happening with even Saul in his hardened state. He couldn't help but proclaim the goodness and the praise of God in this special way. Very unusual occurrence. Saul continued, though, on in this dark way. Uh, even this experience didn't change his life, didn't change his course, didn't alter him in any way. He continued rejecting God, continued chasing David through the wilderness, chasing him in and out of caves, all around the place, looking, or, or David escaped into a cave and Saul didn't find him there, looking for David, trying to kill him, but was unsuccessful. He realized that David had something that he could no longer have because he had rejected God's spirit. And finally, we get to the last chapters of Saul's life. We go to the end, the near end of 1 Samuel, to chapter 28. Because by this time, Saul had, had been in the practice of rejecting the Holy Spirit again and again and again. And now, the enemies came against Saul, and he was scared. He was afraid. So many times, the Bible describes Saul as being afraid. Without God's Spirit, he was filled with this fear. And he, he realizes, I've got to have some guidance. I don't know what to do. And he knew that God could guide him. But he wasn't really interested in seeking God and repenting of his sins. He just wanted to have help out of this dangerous situation. So the Bible describes this. Look at verse 4, 1 Samuel 28. The Philistines assembled and came and set up camp at Shunem. While Paul got, excuse me, Saul... His name did not change to Paul. Well, Saul gathered all the Israelites and set up camp at Gilboa. When Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid and terror filled his heart. So he inquired of the Lord. But the Lord did not answer him by dreams or by the Urim or prophets. Here we find it's, it's too late for Saul. If he had really had a heart that was open to the Holy Spirit, God would have answered him just like that. But here's somebody who's afraid that they're going to get into trouble, somebody who's afraid that they're going to have bad consequences, lose big battles, and so he's only coming to God to try and get what he needed in the moment. We have this idea in our minds sometimes that we can put God off until we really get serious. We can just kind of have God in our back pocket, and whenever we need him, we can just pull him out like a genie, Rub the bottle, God's going to pop out and give us our wishes. That's not how it works. It's not how it works. It's so dangerous to put off God until later. Because, one, we might not live till later. Two, we might not even want God later. And three, we might not even be capable of responding to God later. Saul, at this point, was so hardened, he was not capable of responding to God in this moment. And so God says, you weren't listening to me before, you weren't listening to me all this time. 
I'm not going to speak to you now. So in his desperation, Saul, who had kicked out all the soothsayers, all the prophets, all the witches from the land, which was a good thing to do, Saul now turns, as it were, to the dark side to try and find answers, to try and find something he can grasp onto, something that can lead him. So many of us are familiar with this story. Look at verse 7. Saul said to his attendants, Find me a woman who's a medium, so that I may go and inquire of her. A medium is another word for a witch. Sorceress. There is one in Endor, they said. So Saul disguised himself, putting on other clothes, and at night he and the two men went to the woman. Consult the spirit for me, he said, and bring up for me the one I name. Very interesting story. As you read this story, this, this witch, this, this woman, uh, does some incantation. She conjures up this spirit. Um, she also kind of recognizes. It's like this spirit tells him, tells her uh, who she's dealing with. And she says, why have you tricked me? You're Saul, the king of Israel. She knew that Saul had kicked all these people out. Uh, she probably herself had been kicked out of the land and had made her residence nearby. So then there's a message that comes from this spirit that Saul associates with Samuel, that the woman associates with Samuel. And the message basically says, why have you disturbed me? Why are you doing these things? You've rejected the word of the Lord, and God has rejected you, and tomorrow you're going to go into battle, and you are going to lose big time. This spirit gave Saul a message of despair and destruction, and Saul believed every word of it. You know, was this really the spirit of Samuel? You know, as I study my Bible, uh, I read verses like Ecclesiastes 9.5, which says, The living know that they shall die, but the dead know. How much? Nothing. Nothing. Psalm 115, verse 17, it says, The dead do not praise God, nor do any who go down into the grave. Psalm five, or 6, verse 5, it says, In the grave there is no remembrance of God. The Bible portrays death like a sleep, a sleep with no dreams. Job 7.10, it says, The dead do not return to their homes anymore. If spirits are coming to your home in the form of your family member, it's not your family member. It's a trick from the enemy. John 11, Jesus said, Death is asleep. It's asleep. And of course, the Apostle Paul makes it very clear that immortality and life is given to the dead in Christ, not immediately at their death, but at the resurrection at the second coming, 1 Corinthians 15, at the last trump, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-17, paints this very clear, that we get to raise up with our loved ones and meet the Lord in the air at the same time at that glorious moment. As I study the Bible, I conclude that this was not the spirit of Samuel, but this was the spirit of the enemy. As he had shape-shifted in the Garden of Eden to take the form of a snake, he shape-shifted here to take the form of Samuel. And furthermore, it wouldn't make a lot of sense. Uh, if, if, if it was beneficial for us to call up our dead relatives from the grave, to talk to them, to get wisdom from them, why would God have said that sorcery is evil? Why would he have commanded them to have the capital punishment for sorcerers during this time? If this was just a helpful tool... It wouldn't make a lot of sense. 
It's because God knows the enemy uses this as a trick to deceive. So you say, well, what about the prophecy? Because what, what this Spirit said actually came to pass. Have you ever heard of a self-fulfilling prophecy? Saul believed the word of the prophet, or the word of this spirit, and he believed that he had no choice, no, no chance, no hope for the battle the next day. So how do you think he fought? How do you think he commanded his troops? He didn't have the same confidence. He didn't have the power of God on his side, and indeed, the Bible describes in verse 31 or chapter 31, describes there how Saul ended his life after suffering a horrible defeat. His sons, three sons, were killed, and in the end, Saul takes his spear and he falls, his sword, and he falls on it. And thus concludes one of the saddest stories in the Old Testament about this king who might have had a great reign, might have had a long kingdom, might have had a glorious legacy to pass on, but instead his story ends in disgrace and defeat. Which spirit do you want in your life? In the beginning, Saul had the spirit of God in his life, and he could have gone for so much longer. But in the end, he had the witch spirit. He had the spirit of the enemy controlling his life. It's been written of all the words of tongue and pen, the saddest of these, what might have been. Fortunately, today, all of us are alive, I think. That means all of us, again today, have a choice. We can choose which spirit we will allow in our life. It's not just a one-time decision. Some people think that you, know, you just pray this one prayer when you're uh, 13 years old and then when you're 95 years old and you don't care anything about God, God will still save you because you made that prayer that one day. Um, and they take com comfort and hope and assurance in this. And, and we can have assurance in God. There's a lot of great assurance. But our assurance is not so much in that prayer that you prayed a long time ago. Our assurance is in the continual work of our Savior on our behalf and honestly, as I look at the story of Saul, Saul would not be happy if God takes him to heaven at that last day. Because Saul didn't enjoy being with God while he was alive. Why would he want to be with God forever? Throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity. We can have a confidence in our salvation, but it's not a confidence that's so great that leads us to neglect our Savior and our God. It's a confidence that leads us to continually, day by day, surrender our heart to Jesus, the one who saves us, the one who makes us. The year was 2001. I was in the city of Atlanta, Georgia. Down in Atlanta, helping out with a youth program, we were reaching out to the city. There was a guy who was coming to our meetings. There was a young David Ashrick preaching for our seminar. It was interesting because he had appendicitis during the meetings, and so one night he just ended without even praying, went off the back of the stage, taken immediately to the hospital, has a, had his appendix removed. The person who started filling in for him, Louis Torres, was preaching, and then he got kidney stones. And so it just there was a lot going on. But praise the Lord, a lot of good things happened. But I remember a guy named Jerry. Jerry was kind of a homeless-type guy, but he kind of looked like Santa Claus. Had a big white beard, um, big belly, 
And he started coming to the meetings. One of the Bible workers was bringing him night after night. And Jerry's life started to, to look a little better. He started to clean up a little bit more with help and with encouragement and so forth. And Jerry, night by night, was hearing the, the Holy Spirit speak to his heart. And one night he decided he wanted to be baptized. He made that commitment. The day came for Jerry's baptism. The Bible worker went to go pick him up and things didn't go well. Instead of seeing that Jerry whose eyes were starting to brighten up, whose face was starting to lift a little bit and joy in his heart, instead, his eyes were totally different. They were wild and, and fiery, as it were. And Jerry said, I don't want to have anything to do with you. And he, he, he basically cursed out the Bible worker and told him to have nothing more to do with him. Attempts were made after that, but, but Jerry never responded ever again. A tragic ending to his story of what might have been. All because there was another spirit that had a foothold in his life and started to overpower and started to work uh, with Jerry's consent, apparently, uh, to overpower the good that God was trying to do. A sober reminder this morning of the question that we ask, which spirit will we have in our life? I don't know about you, but as far as me, I want to have the Holy Spirit filling all of me. Amen? Amen. If the Spirit of God fills all of us, there's no room for the devil to have a foothold in our life. So which spirit will you day by day seek? Which spirit will you allow? Our choices reflect our answer to that question. Let's make choices in harmony day by day as we read, as we pray, as we worship, as we live. Let's make choices to say, yes, Jesus, I want your spirit in my life, in my life alone. Dear Father, we need you every hour. If we're starting to drift from you, make our hearts lonely. Make our hearts fearful to be without you so that we might always stick with you as you are always willing and desiring to stick with us. Bless us as we go forward. May we be agents of hope to those who don't have hope. May we be agents of your spirit to those who don't have your spirit yet. But may your spirit do powerful things through us as we open up to you day by day this week. In Jesus' name, let all God's people say, Amen. Amen.